0: Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter two. We are picking up where we left off. We are a Calvary Chapel. That means we're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, straight through. So we are in the book of Acts, we started there, and we're proceeding verse by verse. Now, Heavenly Father, as we sang this morning, open the eyes of our hearts. We pray that that indeed would happen by the power of the Holy Spirit as we cooperate with the word of God, that we don't harden our hearts, but that we open our hearts to the truth so that we can come to blessing and life and renewal. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm a real fan of comeback stories. I guess like most people, I suppose. You know, the athlete who Or, a sports team for that matter suffers a humiliating uh, defeat only to come back with a vengeance and uh, win the championship. Uh, Or, a business owner who works through a devastating bankruptcy only to experiencing uh, a year of unparalleled success. I was reading about uh, the life of Abraham Lincoln the other day and a loss. Uh, consecutive bids for the Senate. Back in those days, uh, he was broke, he was suffering from depression and anxiety, but he kept at it. He did well in in some debates, a series of them, and secured the presidential nomination. And of course, the rest is history. In 1860, uh, the 16th president of the United States became Abraham Lincoln, a pretty good president, a pretty amazing turnaround. Um, how does that happen? How, how does that, how do we go from a total wipeout to something that's a wonderful victory? Well, um, there's something always to be said about hard work, determination, and wisdom, and all of those things. But really, spiritually speaking, the Bible says that nothing happens without Jesus our Lord Jesus hammered that home in the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John and verse 5 where he said apart from me spiritually speaking you you can do nothing and that he was uh, the vine and that we were connected to him with the branches and anything coming as fruit in our lives, was the result of his connection to us. So the lead apostle, Peter, is learning this in our hard way. And it's Peter who I'm calling your attention to, his magnificent wipeout of a life, and then now his comeback here 50 days from his wipeout. And uh, it's all about opening up to the powerful Holy Spirit through faith in our Lord Jesus. So... Here's the context for those of, who weren't here last week. Raise your hand if you weren't here last week. Where were you? <laughs> um, yeah, so it's important that you hear this uh, little uh, context. <laughs> so uh, I like teasing you, you know, I'm just kidding around. So 50 days ago from our context, um, that is when Peter was overcome by fear and filled with self-confidence, and had his wipeout. You know, he was filled with uh, kind of a presumption. You know, he said that night that Jesus was betrayed, hey, if everybody here at the table leaves you, I won't. I'm going go to go with you to the death. And so he was filled with pride, and he had this humiliating wipeout. And he, you know, he felt the heat of the world, uh, quite literally, at that campfire when Jesus was arrested and there in the courtyard of the high priest um, as i said last week you know it was strike 1 strike 2 cock-a-doodle-doo and the rest is history three strikes and you're out now 50 days later after that terrible wipeout pentecost the jewish national holiday has come and now he's going to stand up and he's going to be filled not with self-confidence But he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and he's going to become courageous because he's going to lean into God. He's going to trust that God in him is going to help him and that will make all the difference. He'll feel the heat again because there'll be crowds up to five, six thousand people he'll, he'll be speaking to not just a few around a campfire. So this is his moment for a comeback. He'll be in the courtyard of the temple and he's got another chance to tell what he knows about Jesus. And this time, he's gonna knock it out of the park. So let's set the stage again um, because we've already talked about eight verses or or so. Uh, Devout Jews from all over the world have gathered, right? And they've gathered for this Jewish holiday. It was called Pentecost. Pentecost just means 50th. So we we learned last time that it was the 50th day following Passover, where historically speaking, the Jews would commemorate the giving of the law. And if you wanna check that out, as I told you last week, Exodus 19, that occasion wasn't very pretty, actually. It was uh, thunderous, and they were there at Mount Sinai, and the law comes down. The law of God is beautiful and good and right. But the, the giving of the law pointed out that we are lawbreakers. So, in that regard, though it was a beautiful uh, giving of the law, of God's righteous decrees, uh, it brought death and condemnation and fear so this is the day they're celebrating right and now that jesus paid for the sins 50 years 50 days i should say prior now the day of pentecost can be celebrated not by giving of law and condemnation and falling short and needing to be splattered with blood as the crowd was the original day of pentecost What I mean by dreadful is is that the law came down and everybody needed to be sprinkled with blood as an atonement because they all broke the very law that was coming down. Now, on the fulfillment of Pentecost, they are all gathered in the temple courts now uh, and the Holy Spirit has come with life and grace and forgiveness and it's all because of 50 days before the Lamb of God took away the sins of the world. And so, leave it to God on the day they're commemorating the Old Testament, on the very day he's saying the Old Testament's swallowed up with the New Testament. And the New Testament is born on the very day that they're commemorating <laughs> when the law came down. And in this time instead of 3000 people dying at the end of Peter's sermon, 3000 people will come to life just a beautiful picture God preaching a sermon there the message of Pentecost will be this instead of the first message obey or die that is the first message or have someone die for you the second message now that someone died for you and me is now trust in my son and live it's a better covenant than the first one, amen? Okay, so here we go. We're right, gonna dive off now. That message of how God changed the first Pentecost to fulfill it with law, uh, from law to grace and spirit and life is what now the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit and they're telling that story right now and it's drawn a big crowd in the temple courts and the reason it's drawn a big crowd is that these backwoods, kind of hillbilly, Galileans. That's what they're known for. They're all speaking perfect languages from all around the world, speaking to these Jews who have come from overseas, speaking in their their perfect dialect to them, perfect uh, Egyptian, perfect Latin, and all of these languages that they didn't know. And so that brought a big crowd. What's going on? And that's where we're going to pick up here. Uh, When we last left off, then, The crowds wanted to know uh, what's going on here. They didn't not understand the message. They understood what the language was saying. They wanted to know what's the significance. What's going on? We hear about Jesus in our own language. It's the day of Pentecost. What's the significance? They understand the tongues. They're not confused by that. They just want to know, what is God doing here? What does it mean? And so Peter clears his throat, whispers a prayer, stands to his feet. It's comeback time. Uh, Some people just answered their question and said, hey, they're just, uh, they heard the babbling. They said, they're drunk. They're out of their minds, you know, let's move forward. Uh, But no, Peter stands up and says this, verse 14, but Peter stands up with the 11, lifts his voice and Address them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, 9 AM. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, chapter 2. He's quoting from, and in the last days, it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men have dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes that great and magne- magnificent day and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So let's pause there if you're taking notes the first point would be Peter gives an explanation and he starts with scripture. So that's what they want. What does this mean? And he's going to he's learned well. He's going to go to the Bible First words out of his mouth, and look at this. No notes, no preparation. He's a man who's been reading the scrolls. He knows this portion enough so that the Holy Spirit, who Jesus said would remind you when he comes of things you have studied and know and need to say. So the Holy Spirit is doing his work. And let me say right at the beginning When we want to know what's going on in our lives, or people ask, well, what's the significance of this? Go to the Word of God. Go to the Word of God. It will explain your situation. What do I do? It's so complicated. It's this. If I do this, then this will happen. If I do that, no, I don't want to see this happen. Go get clarity and understanding from the Word of God. That's why it's here. It's all scripture is inspired by God, useful to teach us what is true and right and make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So Peter's smart, he's led and he goes, okay, you wanna know what's going on? Let's open the book because I don't want you Jews here to think that I'm gonna tell you in my opinion. Let me give you Peter's opinion on this. Well, I think, no. He says, listen, you ask a question, let's find it in the scripture so that we know that it's true. And so he opens the scripture by quoting Joel chapter two, a significant portion thereof. And the the large crowd is there because they've heard the commotion of these uh, Galileans speaking perfect French and what have you. And so they've all gathered. And so in verse 15, what you always have to do when you have a gospel presentation, which by the way, this serves as a model elements in this first sermon listen it's the first sermon in the new testament and it's the it's by this sermon that the church is born all right so this is an important sermon because elements in this sermon need, are needful to help people come into life. And so uh, it's important that we're paying attention. First thing you always have to do when you have uh, a presentation of the gospel is to dismiss the mockers, because there's always mockers, there's always somebody rolling their eyes or making fun of you. Amen? Well, that needed to be slightly louder, <laughs> because I've heard some of the stories out there. I mean, we endure that. So what do the mockers say in this case? They say that they're drunk with new wine or cheap wine. And here's the answer. What? We haven't even finished our Cheerios and our cup of coffee. What are you talking about? We haven't had the opportunity to drink into excess. So that's ridiculous. It's ludicrous. Uh, You know, number one, they were not acting drunk. They did not appear to be drunk. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control, not loss of control. The only reason that they say that they think they're drunk is because they hear ogamogowogowoga, you know, and they hear languages. This is not the prayer languages because they are heard in their own mother tongues. They're just speaking uh, languages, and foreign languages can sound kind of funny to an untrained ear, and so just because they hear that cacophony of sounds and languages, they say, you're drunk. I like what one writer said. When confronted with the gospel, those who set their minds on sinful nature, who aren't interested in spiritual things, are open to any explanation to excuse away their need to submit to God even if that explanation is ludicrous, all right? So we're open to hear anything. If it gets me out of having to submit to Jesus as Lord and have a moral accountability to my life, I will believe just about anything, even if it's ludicrous. I remember when the kids were little. One of the boys asked me, when people don't believe in the Bible, how, how do they think we all got here? How did the world get here if God didn't put it here? And I said, they think it happened all by itself. They were eight, nine years old. They go, dad, dad, no, how would they? They wouldn't think that, dad, everything from nothing? That all these people came from a little cell, Zachary one cell all by itself. It just started multiplying. Dad, no, they don't. (laughs) Yeah, well, they think that's better than a life of submission, a knee bowed, to say, I don't have all the answers, God does, I'm his servant, and so he dismisses it quickly enough. You know, it does say answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Translation, set foolish people straight, lest they think they have all the answers and and for their own sake. Sometimes that's needful, and so, uh, he dismisses the mockers with just a word. And then he says, let's have a Bible study. What you, you've asked that, what you see and hear. What is the significance? Let me, let's turn to the Bible. He has some answers. And he says, number one, welcome to the last days. And so let's get our bearings, people. We are in the last days. Peter's first point is, is that as far as God's concerned, it's pretty exciting. There's nothing left. He's done. It's over. His plan's done. We're in the last days when Jesus appears as Messiah to take away the sins of the world, and he sends his Holy Spirit to open up now the gates of eternal life to the world. Those are the last days. They've started. We're in the last days. In other words, there's nothing next in the program except his appearance to gather in those who heard the message. Nothing left. And then, of course, he establishes a kingdom. Now, it does say the last days will be over at the end when his second coming happens. And then it, he describes a little bit of, of it, the day of the Lord. And then we went through chapter upon chapter in Revelation about that graphic uh, day when there'll be cataclysmic-type destruction and celestial bodies will change. The first New Testament on the day of grace. You hear, we're hearing about the end of the world with the, the sun going out, and the moon turning to blood, just like the New Testament writers will elaborate on. So don't let anybody tell you that a message that involves, hey, time is short, we're at the end, God has made a way in love through his son, but, but terrible times are coming, therefore call on the name of the lord and be saved somebody asked me what why do you call yourself the saved what are you saved from oh we're saved from this great and terrible day of the lord that's what we're saved from and it goes and it's eternal yeah so so that's part of the whole message so it's just funny to me that sometimes people kind of idolize the early church about how they were, their character, and nature. But to get to the early church and its description of this wonderful koinonia, which is a word that just means fellowship and having everything in common and all that love. To get to them, you have to go through a very long sermon that often gets kind of sidetracked. We don't hug this beautiful sermon that birthed these people as a model of something that needs to be consistently shared with people. We get to the nature of the church, and we embrace that and love everything about it, but the words that brought it into being, to bring 3,000 people to actually become those people who we think had it all together. and, And it was a wonderful early church. But let's not. Forget that this is the message this is the model message and it really doesn't change much It's there for us and it echoes the same thing the Old Testament prophets Was Jesus message and Jesus message is Peter's message and Peter's message is the New Testament message and the New Testament Message is ours and there it is the first word is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand Jesus very first words Jesus, repent, first word, for the kingdom of God is in hand. It just means to turn away from our sins. And so hopefully in this message that is so clear, here it is, it's the last days, we're at the end. Number two, God's spirit, salvation's available to all. Uh, Number three, his spirit comes in and manifests in supernatural, wonderful ways. Number four, judgment is coming the day of the Lord, blood, fire, billowing, smoke, so everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That, that's the essence of the gospel message that the Holy Spirit thought needed to be shared on the very first day of the New Testament and the birth of the church. And so that's done, now uh, Peter's gonna continue. He's quoted the scriptures, now the sermon goes on. 22 through 28, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracle signs and wonders, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Now, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And here's the kicker. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep him in its hold. And so here's a crucial element, let's pause. He's explained, he's, he's given an explanation, and now here he has uh, stirred conviction. If you're sharing the gospel, you gotta have some of these things. This is, this is very important, to stir conviction now It's like, you get all this information, then what? So what? You learned something in church. Hallelujah. So what? It has to have a so what. And here's the so what. What does this mean to you? He's going to take this home now and get right up in their faces and say, it was you. It was you who put the Lord to the death. Now, the word conviction in the Greek means to confront with the purpose of correcting. Correcting. And we thank God for the conscience because it's God's gift to guide us to repentance, to lead to life. In other words, if you, without conviction, you, you're not going to have anybody come to the Lord because uh, we don't come to a Savior when we don't think we need to be saved. So that is the Holy Spirit's job is to work conviction that we have a need that, sa- that our Savior can provide. And it's too bad uh, that that's the truth because the very thing that we hate the most is to bring a word of correction, to look at somebody and say, oh, dude, that, that's a lifestyle that's going to get you in trouble. The Bible lists that in a, in a lifestyle that ends up departing from him on the last day. And so we don't wanna have to tell somebody you're doing something wrong or I'm upsetting you or I'm offending you or I'm gonna hurt your feelings, but it's the very thing that brings conviction and then I'm moved to do something about it. So whatever part that you wanna take away from your gospel presentation, I hope it's not the part that is most necessary for that person to feel there's a need There's a need to come to the Lord. And and so he says, you killed Jesus, you had help, but you're responsible nonetheless. God sent his son to you all, and you knew it because God did these incredible miracles through him. So when you saw Mary Magdalene have a transformed life and Matthew the tax collector suddenly keeping the books for the gospel instead of his own greedy uh, bank account, When you saw and heard the things that Jesus did, how he provides miraculously, when you yourself heard that voice, and in your heart, the command, the moral commands and requirements and the conscience, and and eternal uh, dynamic things about creation and the way God moves, yet you knew, yet you rejected, and you are guilty of that. They were in the crowd. They were chanting, crucify. You remember Pilate's like, what has he done? I don't understand. I've examined him three times. This man is innocent. Why do you want to kill him? And yet they shouted, they, in the crowd, them, their voices (laughs) shouted, crucify, crucify. He says, listen, I don't wash my hands of this, because I told you he's innocent. I don't want to take any blame. I'm going to say crucified, but I, I, I'm putting the, they say, good, put that blame on us. These are the ones out there who's Peter, Peter's preaching to. Put that blame on us and upon our kids. Put that bad rap on us. We'll bear it. Kill him. The Holy Spirit brings this out. But you know what I think is very interesting as a result that we all need conviction is because we were in the crowd. We, we, you and me, contributed to the death of Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. We didn't have to hold the mallet if you, if you sin, the Bible says that we like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to our own way and listen, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of, of us all. If you had any iniquity at all, he laid your iniquity on him, the Lord of glory had to die because of your sins, you are culpable for your contribution to the death of Jesus Christ so am I. You know, uh, Stuart Townend captured this beautiful sense where the Holy Spirit wants us to understand that we're all involved in this. We're all guilty. When he wrote that beautiful song, How Deep the Father's Love, and he says the, the, this line, Behold the man upon the cross, my sin, my sin upon his shoulders, ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. I was in that crowd, and I proved that I would be in that crowd, and I would shout the same thing every time I turn my back on the Lord now. Every time I lie and embrace evil, I'm saying, I could have been in that crowd. I want to do away with him. I don't like the truth. I like my darkness better. Therefore, I could have held the uh, hammer. I could have been in the crowd. The Bible says you were, you are, you're with them. And the conviction comes. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Oh, conviction is such a good thing. Because then you start feeling ashamed and you want to be covered. He says, oh, let me cover you. Oh, with my robe of righteousness, white and clean. You'll never, he who calls on the name of the Lord shall not be put to shame. So he has to stir up in us the fact that we should feel shame so that we want to be covered. And he says, it's the very thing I want to do. In love, I sent Jesus to die for you so that by uncovering and shaming him and stripping him, I could cover you. Oh, yes. And then I sense danger. Then I want to be safe. And he says, oh, the name of the Lord is a strong refuge. Well, you don't run to the refuge unless you think you're in harm's way. So the word of God, the Holy Spirit, our testimonies have to present some kind of conviction. You're not gonna be running to, out of the way of danger. How about when you feel guilt? You crave forgiveness. How about when you sense estrangement you, and that you've offended? You want to reconcile. So these are all just wonderful things that get stirred up. And are they fun to, to, to bear? No. Are they popular to speak? Not really. Are they needful for salvation? And that's always my bottom line. Is it needful? for salvation. So Peter's our role model. He's, how hard was this speech to give? Sermon, rather. The very ones that were in the crowd chanting, crucify, he's led to tell them, it was you, you killed the Lord. I mean, for your very first sermon, that'd be a hard audience. They really really don't want to hear that, but I love him. Now, he's not a wimp at the fire who's calling down curses because he doesn't want to associate with Jesus. Now he stands up and says, it was you, all of you, thousands of you. Wow. He's our role model for speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love so that people can know and hear and the Holy Spirit can use those words to bring them to life. Fear of man will prove to be a snare. I've, this is like a life verse for me because my whole job is to tell people what they don't want to hear necessarily. So a life verse for me is fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be kept safe. Proverbs twenty-nine, twenty-five. Listen, let me tell you something. It took me 33 years, so I'll give it to you for free. Tell the truth, no matter how hard it is, and let the chips fall where they lie. No what if, what if, what if, and no reacting to who says what, and I'm, not, I'm trying to pick a part that's sweet and not harsh. You might leave out the yeast. If you just go for the sugar in the recipe and you're making a cake, that's really nice that your favorite, reci- your favorite ingredient in the recipe that you like to talk about is the cu- three cups of sugar. But if you want the cake to rise and to look nice and to be a cake, you're going to have to add the ingredients that you don't really prefer to talk about. And so let us talk about the the whole message as the Holy Spirit guides us. And let the chips fall where they might. In this case, you know what? It it worked out pretty good. 3,000 people uh, accepted. 24 through 35. So he tells them, you guys put him to death, but. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was impossible for him to be held by it. And now we're going to go to Psalm 16, which we read this morning in our call to worship. For David says concerning him, as it's written in Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me, for he's at at my right hand that I might not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will dwell in hope, for you won't abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. And now he's quoted Psalm 16 and a little more of the sermon. Brothers, I may say to you with great confidence about our patriarch David that he both died and was buried in his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn on an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the christ that he would not abandon he would not be abandoned to hades nor did his flesh see corruption this jesus god raised up and of that we are all witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of god and having received from the father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has now poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but He Himself says in Psalm 110 and verse 1 The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your cell phone go off. <laughs> now, seeing it happen, I told you there's the God. Now, the resurrection. The Jews in the crowd are like, just help us over the the dead Messiah resurrection part. You know what, we heard this man died, he died on the cross, he's saying, okay, here's the good news. So we've gone from giving an explanation to a little conviction, and now the good news, Jesus is alive, and let me explain how that happened, or how you might believe that. Three quick things he says. You can find death and resurrection in the Old Testament, right? So let me show it to you in the Bible, he says. Number two, he says, the resurrection is verified. We, we saw him. And number three, the resurrection is validated by the giving of the Spirit. So really fast. He's saying, now Jesus of Nazareth was a man, but he was the God-man. He was born of a human being, his mother Mary, and he was flesh and blood like us, but... He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, and so he is in very nature God, very God of very God. He is the God-man, so here's what he's trying to tell them. Jesus could die because he's Lord. He could die because he's man. He had a heart that could stop, but he couldn't stay dead because his divine nature as second person of the Trinity, the Godhead, Uh, wouldn't let death be the ultimate uh, defeat. And of course, as God, he can't stay dead. As man, he could be a sin offering and die for us, but he wouldn't remain in that position. So he just says, let me show you in the Bible, Psalm 16. Here's what he says. He says, you think David's talking about himself there, not rotting in the grave? He rotted in the grave. His body did. He says, guys, Do you want to go to the tomb? His tomb's here. You want to roll away the stone and go digging in there? You're going to find a body that decayed. So he couldn't be talking about himself. So he's helping these Jews to understand that the Messiah, as a human being, could die. And here it is. He wouldn't experience decay at all. Jesus' body did not decay because he was resurrected. That body, that same body. They went in and saw that. So that's the second point. The first point is, let me show you it's possible right here. David's talking about Jesus there, dead and resurrected. Number two, we went in the tomb. So let uh, let us just tell you, us and 500 people saw. Within a period of 40 days, he's walking around. We saw the body. Thomas touched him. Thomas was all, oh, you know, unless I see the scars and touch and feel, I'll never believe. And they're all, look, go talk to Thomas. He saw me, touched him. We all did. We ate with him. He's alive. And so the last thing he says, the biggest proof of all, and do you make this connection because it's really great. He says, the fact of what you see, that everybody's filled with the Holy Spirit, on Pentecost, speaking the word of God in other languages that they never learned, this is the sign that Jesus died and rose again and went all the way to sit on the throne where he was in the beginning because the Bible speaks that the Messiah would be exalted to heaven and that that exaltation would signal the giving of the spirit. So Jesus said in so many places, uh, in Luke 24, in John 14, in John 15, in Acts 1-4, I will go into heaven, and I and the Father will send the Holy Spirit. So here's all he's saying. You see all this? It's proof he made it. He got to his destination. The man Christ Jesus, who went into the grave from the cross into the ground, rose from the dead, ascended back into heaven, and now his last statement cuts them to the heart. He's Lord. He's Lord, and he sent the Holy Spirit, and now you see the whole picture. This was in God's heart from the beginning. He is Lord. He throws in that last PS that Jesus threw in in Matthew 22, right at the end, where he says, Jesus questions the Pharisees and kind of tra- traps them up a little bit and says I've got a question for you because they had been trying to trick Jesus. So after Jesus answered all their questions Jesus said now boys Pharisees I've got a question for you. In Psalm 110 and verse 1 David says my Lord said to my Lord sit at my right hand until I defeat all your enemies. Now If the Messiah is related to David, but he's called Lord, how is that possible? And the Pharisees went They couldn't answer. And here's the answer. David's descendant is a man who is also the Lord. He is the God-man, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a Virgin Mary. That's the answer. And that's what he pulls, because Peter remembers that day. And he says, and by the way, guess who we're dealing with here? The Lord said to my Lord, Yahweh says to Adonai. Whoa, you got the same God title for both. And Jesus, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, now is Jesus equal to God, Yahweh, This was a big thing, and then let's finish up, but it says they were cut to the heart. That's sometimes a good thing. So let's finish up, 37 to 41, their reaction. Now when they heard that, when he said, uh, you killed the Lord, and happens to be God. Uh, Now when they heard that, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the brothers, What must we do? And Peter said to them, there's that word, third time, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift, singular, of the Holy Spirit, you will receive the Holy Spirit, he is the gift, for the promise is for you and your children, since you named your children recently and said that they would bear your your responsibility. It's for your children as well and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself and with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, you know, check this out fourth time. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were about Uh, 3,000 new believers, new souls there. So this is gonna be our final uh, point here. Just let me uh, bring my remarks to a close, I'll repeat. uh, The explanation was given in this sermon. He stirred up conviction. He proclaimed the good news of the resurrection. And now he's gonna call them to action and invite them. There's an invitation. And you know what's a funny thing is when you present something correctly, as far as the gospel goes, they know there's something to do. You see, they just know. They are, they're asking, oh, my, this is not good. We've offended. We've done something wrong. How do I fix that? You see? And so they ask. Now, universalism is a doctrine that's very popular right now. And it it says that since Jesus died for all sins, that everybody is saved. No repentance is necessary. It's good and nice, but not really required since there's no real literal hell, and uh, you don't have to worry so much about uh, a literal place of eternal torment because in the end, God's love wins out and that uh, everybody is saved. Well, that's not what this, scripture says. It says you have something to do. That Jesus did die for all of our sins, but there's, there's a condition. There's a condition for you to be saved and enjoy that, and it starts with the, wor- the, the word repent. Meta naeo in the Greek. It means change of heart. And here's what you think of repentance. It's not something you have to do before you come to God. As much as as you're coming to God, you're repenting. Uh, David Guzik said it this way. I love it. Repentance must never be thought of as something we must do before we can come to God. Rather, repentance describes what coming to God is. You can't turn toward God without turning from the things he is against. And so, really, I, I see repentance and trust in the Lord belief as Siamese twins, When I'm coming to the Lord, I'm repenting. When I'm repenting, I'm having faith and trusting the Lord. You see? But the two, they go together. They're always there. If you take the unpleasant word of repent, which sounds very harsh, coming out of your mouth and coming into somebody's ears, if you take that away, you have taken away the gospel. You have taken away the model sermon that gave birth to our uh, ancestors, spiritually speaking, our forefathers, the church. If you only like to share parts of it, make sure you're sharing the part that helps them the most and that you're not prohibiting them from finding life. Who in this world likes to say you need to repent? And if you do like to say it, there's a problem with you, right? Seriously, I I don't like saying that word, but I know that that's what I've been given to talk about. You don't have to be unnecessarily harsh or obnoxious, and you certainly are never to be unkind and rude ever, but that concept, has to come out of our mouths in this message. And so he says, as you're baptized, not in a way to save you, but the rest of the New Testament tells us that water baptism just shows what has happened on the inside, that the old life is dead and buried and gone, and you're raised up to this new life, which kind of really just shows you what repentance means. All right? Because when you raise up, the old person, how you were born the first time, gone. Now you're born a second time. And that life is consistent with the word of God and the moral commands of God given. And so you have repentance and baptism and closing word there. This is the way to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's saying that by repentance and turning to the Lord and away from the things that he is against is the way that God gives the gift of eternal life and that's in a person of the Holy Spirit. He comes in, singular. It's a gift. It is not something we can earn. And so he gives us this gift, he comes on board, he raises us to new life, and he gives us the ability to live the Christian life. If if you're having trouble, living the Christian life or wanting to live the Christian life or, or, or falling all the time into sins that you don't want to commit. It's because the fullness of the Holy Spirit isn't there. Ask to be filled of the Spirit. And that gift of the Spirit within you, he gives gifts and abilities and manifests us, uh, gives us life. Uh, let me close with this idea that Cain had just Uh, killed, uh, was thinking about killing his brother, I should say. And the Lord saw the look on his face and said, what's wrong with you, Cain? Just do the right thing and and you'll be accepted by God. And instead he does the wrong thing and then he's rejected and he gets mad and jealous and envious and he kills his his brother. But before that happened, the Lord said, look, buddy, I'm going to warn you. Sin is crouching like a lioness in your own heart, ready to pounce. It wants to master you, but you must master it. The gift of the Holy Spirit, man, is the answer to that because the Holy Spirit comes in and that, the Holy Spirit's the only one who could free you from the tyranny of your own passions and from the way we were raised and and, and all of our, Weaknesses and flaws, that's what we need is more of the Holy Spirit, more of the word of God, more time in prayer, enjoying his love, living the Christian life. And he says, if you walk in this way, you will not fulfill the sinful desires of your sinful nature. And so 3,000 hands went up. There's plenty of water on the temple mount. There's reservoirs and all kinds of uh, water sources, and so they had a big baptismal service. 3,000 people getting baptized there, filled with the Spirit. Uh, Just wonderful, wonderful testimony of new life. And what happened? They had to be told the bad news. They had to be convicted. It, It got a little uncomfortable. Then they heard the good news. Jesus is alive and ready to forgive and it cut them to the heart, and they opened up, and they got saved, and we'll see them in heaven as a result. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful sermon given on the birthday of the church. We're learning a lot from it. Father God, we just pray that um, your Holy Spirit would guide us in all our interactions with those who need to hear the gospel, that we do it in such a way that pleases God, is true to the scriptures. That's the most important part for us, Lord, that it's true to the word of God. No matter how much pressure the world puts on us to say what the world wants to hear and scratch where they itch, just let us stay true to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.